Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. I'm sorry, you can sit there and look and play with all your silly machines as much as you like. Is Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I say! Brilliant! Jeez! He's round the goalkeeper! He's done it! Absolutely incredible! He launched himself six feet into the crowd and Kung Fu kicked a supporter who was without a shadow of a doubt giving him lip. The textbook Monday night footballer, 247 nights at the top of the Premier League table, Roy Keane at the snooker, should this listener name his forthcoming baby after Tuba Akpom, incredible angles people picture football matches from in their head, the stadium ex-faithful Rishi Sunak's Northern Premier League Division 1 East playoff final rallying cry, did this Premier League season really need Sam Allardyce? And this podcast's ultimate unfinished business gets finished. Brought to your ears by The Athletic. This is Football Clichés. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 254 of Football Clichés. I'm Adam Hurry and with me, of course, on the adjudication panel today is Charlie Eccleshare. How are things? Things are good. How about things with you? Yeah, that's not bad. Nice response, very good. Um, alongside you, it's David Walker. How are you doing? Yeah, very good. You? Yeah, good. Everyone's sounding great. Um, what a time to be not just alive, but on this podcast, I have something sensational for you right at the very tail end of this episode. Ooh. It is the ultimate unfinished business. Wow. Okay. I can't wait, but we've got mm-hmm. so much more to get through before then. So just hold your horses on that. Have a little think about it as we go. But let's kick off the adjudication panel with this. This came from Graham Spencer and Scott. They were watching Brighton versus Wolves occur. Like a absolute procession, it sounded like. And um, Jackie Oatley was on comms for the world feed alongside Matthew slash Matty Upson. And uh, they got they got very clichésy about the refund discourse. Brighton supporters singing, give them their money back. It is that kind of school line where you do get some sort of statement from a club apologising and saying, well, anybody who went, then we will pay you back. What's the cut points? Is it six, is it? Is five? Is money back on, on five mil? Or? No, not five. No, it has to be six. Five to comment. Okay. I'd say seven. Should be in the agreement when you buy a ticket then away. Tremendous stuff. Oatly very much in the assertive hurry role there, Dave, I think. <laughs> no, fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> Don't like it. Not having it. Well, and and I, Upson almost word for word repeating what I said about the issue a few weeks ago. There you go. Should be, you know, should be a, a standard agreement. Why it's not? interesting that this was happening already on Saturday because I detected by the time of Sunday and Spurs were at it again mm. early on. And I just felt like people were a bit tired. Like even the jokes people were making about refunds. Yeah. I felt like their hearts weren't really in it anymore. Saw a lot of tweets about direct debits in the space of about three minutes. Uh, not to say I wasn't tempted to do it myself, but you know, once you've seen them, 
you can't join in. Something else just on this game. I don't know. Th- this is very cliches, and I, I was worried for a second that you they were going to be talking about this, but. I absolutely loved the score sheet from this game. A 6-0 with three players scoring two each. I can't mm. think I've ever seen that. There was something so satisfying about it. Is it satisfying? Because I, a hat-trick of braces. A hat-trick of braces. But I don't like it when the goals are spread around too much. I think that slightly undermines a, a yeah, hammering. A, si- a six different goal scorers is like nice, but it's all a bit of a, bit of a freak. Yeah, yeah it's, yeah. it's just, it doesn't feel sustainable. It's just like, oh, you got lucky and then sort of everyone mm. got in on the act, as we discussed last week. Yeah, you need, some, you, need, you need some substance to it, some meat on the six gold bones. I agree. Um, it would have been even nicer, Dave, if all three players had been dragged off furious before they got the chance to complete their hat trick. That would have been nice. They haven't actually checked the team information to see whether that actually happened, but that would have been good. That would have been the icing on the cake, wouldn't it? Yeah, but, yeah, well, I don't know whether that might have happened or not. <laughs> Let's assume we'll not. never know, unfortunately. <laughs> no, uh, you know, for, um, it, you know, in the grand lands, great landscape of my terrible research pre-pod, I'm going to assume that didn't happen. Um, Jake Slee's up next. Charlie says, for work, I had to take down someone's email address. They said, at AOL.com for my sins. <laughs> what is the most for my sins email <laughs> service provider? I'm going to well, go with NTLworld.com. CompuServe, which I think was my first ever... Um, Email. I mean, I, I do have this. I have, I still have a Yahoo email account and it is, it genuinely is a constant source of shame, but I just can't be bothered to do the sort of uh, admin involved in changing it all over. So I so keep it, it. So it exists purely for the purposes of sort of logging into old websites and stuff like that. I still use it as an email. Okay, that's I just, insane. Yeah, no, I know. But I just don't, to, to change it would mean, I don't know, telling everyone. Telling everyone. That I have, and then setting up like an app. getting a new mobile number. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, have, a, have a new email reveal party. <laughs> You're not going <laughs> to believe this, one guys. Go. But I do yeah. feel a bit for my Cinzi about having that. I could yeah. put that in the conversation. On that note, then, let's have a, a one-off, perhaps, revisit of For My Sins Corner. I know you're out of practice, the pair of you. You thought it was never coming back. Well, it is back. This is from Popmaster on Thursday. Mal's at the ready. Who's going to say for my sins and when? So now it's time for round two of today's pop master. And uh, today from Cullingworth in West Yorkshire, it is Stu Molyneux. Hello, Stu. Morning, Ken. You all right? I'm fine. How are you? I'm all right. Sun's yeah. out. So what? What? What can we not be happy about? Exactly. Sun's out in beautiful West Yorkshire. And you, uh, you work outdoors, do you? I certainly don't want a postman for me saying that. Right, have been doing that? Uh, 15 years tomorrow. Oh, right, well done, well done. And uh, is your uh, round, is it rural or in the town? It's, That's a rubbish question. It's, it's <laughs> in the city park of Keithley, so... All right. It's okay. close, close to town centre, very nice and compact. Right, good. That's the way we want it. And uh... Digging deep there, Charlie, for a follow-up <sighs> question, wasn't he? That's dreadful. That reminds me, I have this thing with my wife whenever we don't know what to ask someone about the job we say like is it long hours then (laughs) (laughs) just so vague and not that interesting I mean but that's basically what Bruce is doing there Yeah, I I think you're giving him a slight disservice there I mean it's quite an important question if you're a postie is it in an easy town centre or are you you trekking over the country lanes of West Yorkshire you don't want long stretches do you you you, you take a lot of corners but you you don't want long stretches of road fair enough I suppose I mean you must have dealt with a postman before but, uh, Dave, is, is Postman for my Sinzi? I'd say it's right at the lower end of the scale. No, I think um, 
I think increasingly they are seen, you know, there's sort of been a bit of a renaissance for the postman over mm. the last few years. Well regarded. With, with all the lockdowns, we came to rely on them very heavily. Yeah. I'm always really happy to see one, Charlie. Yeah. Mm. Like, you know, in a really low-key way. I think, yeah, good to have you still around. Good that you <laughs> exist. You and Gareth Southgate, of course. Yeah, that's, that's true. we discussed previously. Yeah, postman fetishist Gareth Southgate. Uh, Jack Pierce is back. This is a good one. Um, he says, after Kasper Schmeichel's solid enough Monday night football debut, who would be your most likely first-timers next season to sit across from Carragher? I'm thinking of an injured Eric Dyer watching on as Spurs go to Molyneux in late October. Eric Dyer's a potential Monday night footballer, Charlie. I could see it happening. He, he's very he's very bright. Whether he's... I, he's not, I, a, you know not a great what? talker, though, is he? Not very lively. Um, Yeah, maybe. I, I think he could be decent. I think Ryan Mason... I, mean, I guess he, uh, does it have to be a player? No, not necessarily. I don't think it does. I think they get managers on, especially ones that are, you know, either up so, and coming or looking for work. Yeah, I think he, um, from hearing him these last few weeks, I think he, he's got that sort of earnestness, student of the game element to him. I mean, Cody's already done it, hasn't he? Because he's sort of the obvious one. Dave, what about Lewis Dunk? I feel like, you know, he's a important figure, a leadership figure in a, in a, in a sort of noteworthy fashionable team at the moment. I feel they would get him on to pick his brains about Deserby's methods. With some of these, I'm just thinking, have they all, have they been on before? I've, it's always I know danger. Cody, def, Cody definitely has. Of course. I feel like Dunk might have done. But no, I think he'd be be, be banging a sweet spot. You're right. Because I think my concern with Eric Dyer is that he's, yeah, he's sort of famously intelligent, could speak another language and all that stuff. But he's quite low energy. He's quite monotone in his delivery when I've seen him interviewed and stuff before. Maybe. And you, you do need to, you do, you need to be up and be able to sort of go back and forth with character. I think Dunk would be good. I'm thinking maybe either Mikel Antonio or Danny Ings. Oh, strikers. Yeah. That, uh, Charlie, it seems to be more of a kind of goalkeeper defendery thing because I think I feel like they're seen as more analytical. I don't know why. Yeah, I mean, I was just going to suggest Tyrone Mings hmm. in a kind of at a team that's up and coming and doing well. He's always said to be you know, a good lad in the dressing room. Fits that sort of centre-back demand that I suppose there is. So I'd put him in I'd put him as well. But I, but I think Mikel Antonio and Ings are good shouts. I mean, I don't think it has to be. But you're, you're right, there probably is that bias uh, towards more defensively-minded players. Schmeichel's debut um, was kind of characterised, Dave, by probably the reason why they do this generally the real appeal of having current players on to do it, which is basically pinning him down and making him criticise a peer of his um, after they've made a sort of mid-range error. And in terms of his di- diplomacy about criticising a fellow goalkeeper, he was all right, actually. He sort of, he didn't completely, he didn't go all goalkeepers union on it, but at the same time, there was a healthy dollop of, oh, come on, defenders, defenders to blame here, which is what you would expect. And this is the trade-off, isn't it? You've got them on, you're happy to have them chat about current footballing situations but you know you're you're not going to get them going full guns no and I, I think the, the worry with some of those players we've just mentioned is that they are still a bit too close Schmeichel whilst obviously still being you know not Mr Leicester but very much associated with them <laughs> what's um, one he, rung below that yeah he's got <laughs> enough critical distance to be able to say stuff and he's a sort of character that probably feels confident enough to do it whereas a current Premier League player even if they are injured it was Ben Mee was on a few weeks ago yeah. and I think there were moments where you could see there where he was slightly uncomfortable about being being taken into certain areas so that is always the the trade-off 
um, and the thing that they, are, I suppose, the producers are looking to to avoid. Uh, okay, yeah. Final point on this. Um, I, I mean, I know Monday Night Football, Charlie, is is noted for its granular analysis. But then, when you threw a goalkeeper, a specialist, into the equation, there was a moment where they were analysing um, Emmy Martinez's dive mm. to parry a shot that Bruno Fernandez eventually pounced on the rebound for, and and. The analysis to me was just like, this is insane. Like, this is actually ridiculous. The pushing off his left hand. Yeah. <laughs> like the standing arm, essentially. We're talking about his to propel himself over to the left. I don't think I need to know this, but I'm kind of grateful that it exists. That, to me, is Monday Night Football in a nutshell. Yeah, it got quite GCSE biology PE, talking about like the sort of, yeah, so he's just lifting. That's almost like a, just levering himself up there, isn't he? Yeah. Tremendous. Really uh, I was kind of here for it though. Like I do, I do enjoy. I always think hearing from like a current pro does off something. But you're right on the. Not only is there the risk of like I don't want to insult a fellow pro because that could you know inspire them against me or bad blood or whatever. But can you imagine you know the out of context football Twitter accounts if someone like Ben Me did criticize a striker and then they went and scored against him a few weeks later? I mean, it would just be off yeah. the charts. Life wouldn't be worth living for him, would it? Right. Next up, Will Beckman. Writes in, Dave says, I heard a Reading fan shout, stay up to their players during today's game at the Select Car Leasing Stadium. Unclear if it was a call to move up the pitch or a more big picture plea to avoid the drop. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, come on. Stay Stay up. up. (laughs) Don't lose. (laughs) Get back to the top table of English football. (laughs) Uh, I really like that. But I mean, there is a slightly plausible element to the bigger picture angle. Charlie, given that uh, Reading have to play Huddersfield in their final game. Now, if Huddersfield lose to Sheffield United this midweek, then it, then it's a straight shootout, really, for relegation. So um, an impassioned plea, a rallying cry already. Yeah, I like that. Just yeah. you know, very. Well, it's like at corners when, you, when people scream away. Mm. It's quite a basic uh, instruction, but... This next one troubled me, Dave. I, I've seen this stat increasingly over the last few years when it comes to title races, especially right at the very end of the season. And Sky flashed up a graphic this weekend of how much of the season Arsenal had been top of the table compared to Manchester City, which is a kind of a side narrative because no one really takes it seriously. But it, it, it is a nice little angle to say, well, they've really snuck up on the rails here. But the troubling element of this was the graphic was titled Knights Top of the Table, whereas previously it used to be Days. Is there a fundamental significant difference here? I suspect there might be because... Nights implies that all the business had been done and there's there's no grey area about whether there might be more games played that day. Yeah, I think that's it. That Surely this is just to take, like, going top of the table at lunchtime for four hours out yeah. of the equation. Yeah. Uh, I, I feel sad, Charlie, that they felt the need to do this, to clarify this. There's some people going, ah, but what? Yeah. You know, are you talking about lunchtime? <laughs> I, I, I did see that and I did sort of applaud them for that. As you know, I do like to preempt pedants and mm. I think that's all they're doing there. I suppose it's sexier to call it nights. nights. Yeah. Those crazy nights we had top of the table. Those balmy nights <laughs> at the top of the table. Right, next up, the inevitable has happened. A footballer was spotted at the snooker. Dallas kept the Belgian FA Cup final off the headlines Ten. in Belgium today with his performance here at the Crucible. He knows a few things about FA Cup finals. Why, Keith? <laughs> I suppose if it's there, Charlie, you've got to embrace it. I mean, we could. I mean, I mean, it's, it's a difficult one to fact check for us, really. I mean, he played seven FA Cup finals, Roy Keane, won four of them. Uh, I suppose losing three makes you more informed about FA Cup finals, if anything. That's slightly surprising. I don't think it, I don't associate him particularly with 
FA Cup finals. No. But I mean that he's got that is a great insight to have what to have won it that many times and come that close. How much do you reckon he knows about the Belgian Cup final though, Dave? Fuck all I reckon. <laughs> yeah, I'd imagine so. Yeah. There was something about that shot of him at the uh, when he when the camera panned to him at the snooker there because of the, you know, the darkness, mm. uh, the house lights turned down and the the quiet, knowledgeable, crucible crowd with his eyes just peering out of the darkness. It almost looked like a real life scene from like a David Squires cartoon <laughs> of him just peering out from some from the darkness. Yeah, someone's <laughs> yeah. phone rings. Yeah. And this actually is a David Squire sketch here. Someone's phone rings and he brings the entire place down to rubble. Right. Matthew Chan writes in, Charlie, says, Middlesbrough fan here. My firstborn is due this May. And as an avid Middlesbrough fan, I've been throwing out the name Tuba as a possible name for baby boy after Tuba Akpom's brilliant season. However, I'm fearing he may be a one-season wonder at the club and leave this summer, which will leave me having to awkwardly explain how he got his name for the next 10 to 15 years. It got me thinking, what's the threshold in terms of naming your child after a football player for your team? Is it a length of time? Do they need to be a club legend? Charlie, I guess we can kind of tally this with the tattoo threshold. I mean, it's the, you know, it's the same level of certainty you need for your Of permanence, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's got to be the same vibe, really, hasn't it? Yeah, I think so. And I guess at what point do you start regretting it? I mean, like Fernando Torres, I remember a friend of mine, he was a big Liverpool fan, he everything he sort of made all his passwords and things <laughs> related to Fernando Torres and obviously he left but he got a sort of a good few years out of that you know is that a source of, do you think that would be a source of regret if you got a Torres tattoo or something like that you know, what's the what's the cutoff now I, I think you're underplaying it there it's a much higher threshold than a tattoo <laughs> I'm glad you said it rather than the two dads on the podcast. Yeah, for a start, the child doesn't have a choice in the matter. Yeah, okay. Nor does your skin, really, if you think about <laughs> it. <laughs> but if you want to get a tattoo, oh, don't of, do it. You want to get a tattoo of Ravenelli on your ass if you're a Middles- <laughs> Middlesbrough fan, then that's up to you. But don't burden poor baby Tuba with a one-season wonder. You've got to wait a little bit longer. Well, I mean, this this is the issue. I mean, he could wait, Charlie, but um, let's assume Middlesbrough get to the playoff final, which is on the 27th of May. Child might have been born by then. So play it safe and give it as the middle name. Come on. Tuba. Tuba That's Chan. probably fair. Yeah, you're, you're, you're right. I mean, there should be, it should be a pretty high threshold. There shouldn't be that many players who would, who would meet that threshold. Mm. But anyway, Tuba Chan is a great name, Matthew. So do it for that reason alone. Next up, next up is Gazatoids, who is picking up on um, something Conor McNamara explained to us the other day, Charlie, about why commentators explain that a team is playing from right to left, etc. And uh, Gazatoids questions the rationale being that they're trying to paint a picture in the listeners' minds. Um, he seems to think it, it harks back to black and white TV days when teams might have looked a little bit similar and you have got to try and tell them apart, which again is absolutely fine. But there's a slightly problematic Aspect to Gazatoy's response here, he says, This is a whole other subject and potentially generational to some degree, but I think I have closer to an overhead close-up view in mind more often than not than a kind of left-to-right situation. He thinks of football in a kind of like a fo- sort of um, old football game mm. kind of way. Top down. That's insane. That is, that is that yeah. That is insane, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, that is. So, so I pressed him on this, Dave, and I said, what, really? And he says, yeah, yeah. So he clarified a bit. He says, slightly behind the play... And a bit of an angle to the vertical. So a bit, I don't know, like super kickoff in 1992, something like that. So, you know, slightly at an angle. So players are essentially kind of running uphill away from you, I guess is is the best way to describe it. Absolutely unbelievable. If you've sat behind the goal your whole life 
Maybe. football maybe that's mm. your default but which I've done I mean I've, I didn't whenever I've had, that whenever that's... I've had a season ticket at Watford it's been in the it's been behind the goal in the in the rookery end and yet yeah, I don't have that as my default image in my head when I'm thinking about football in these in these in this context it's always TV gantry worried what percentage of fans Charlie do you think think this way about football in their very, heads very very few 2% I think it, yeah it must be game informed old school game informed yeah. but that's at like the formative stage of one's football watching maybe goals look better from that angle in, in your head you get a more tactical viewpoint don't you yeah yeah maybe what, we should ask uh, we should ask listener Michael Cox what he, angle he has in mm. his head mm. is he a tactical cam man or is he a traditionalist I would think the latter I would actually say but let's Let's find He'll out. feel strongly about it. Speaking of McNamara, do you ever have players who, in your mind, you can only hear said by one commentator? Because hmm. um, Marcus Tavernier, the Bournemouth oh. player, I can yeah. only hear said as Tavernier <laughs> in a sort of exaggerated McNamara voice. And I don't know if he's even ever said it. It's just all I can hear. In the same way with Wayne Rooney, I can only really hear in a Clive Tildesley voice. I don't think I've got a well-rounded appreciation of the current commentary crop as you do, to be honest. So I'm kind yeah. of stuck. Um, but I'd say no, and I don't I, and, at all. And with, with all due respect to, to Conor McNamara, I think Clive Tilsley's commentary on Wayne Rooney's opening goal is slightly more iconic than <laughs> whatever Marcus Tavernier has done this season. <laughs> Just a hypothetical Tavernier moment yeah. in my head. Yeah. Right. You know, we were talking the other day, Dave, about the word delivery and where and when mm. it can be applied in football. The consensus on our end was that it, it needed to be a set piece or a cross. And we were trying to wrestle with the logic of why that was but the idea was that the ball was being delivered into the box so it was going from a to a relatively vague b but an intended b and that was why it was called a delivery this came from jacob with a whole new twist on this this is jordan pickford talking about his penalty save against leicester i called it this morning where i was going to go um but no he's a good player and i think he'll expect me to make movement you know he's got a great delivery um you know if he whips it or opens up he'll i think he expects me to dive so i think i've double double bluffed him and got one up on him but yeah this is concerning to me dave um a penalty delivery possibly the, possibly the least appropriate yeah you, you'd never hear a penalty described as what a delivery but Pickford, I'd sort of think Pickford might know that because I think he tries mm. to qualify it a little bit there by saying, well, he could have whipped it or he could have opened his body up. He's talking about his technique. Right. And I think he maybe knows that he's used the wrong word. That that was my Generous. reading of it. Yeah, okay. no, I think what he means is he he's basically saying he's a great striker of the ball. And he does take free kicks, of course. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So I think he's more. It's more about that than necess- than using delivery specifically about the penalty. It just means he, you know, he's a great striker of a dead ball. So you know he's got the ability to whip it or find the corners. If we to em- employ some Amazonian logic here, Dave, um, slight wrinkle in the language of football here because you know a penalty can't be delivered, but it can be dispatched. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You can definitely dispatch a penalty. Yeah, I think it's the ultimate act of footballing dispatching penalty but yeah. you can you can dispatch a team from a from a cup competition though charlie yeah you can dispatch which is kind of a business-like kind of it's not mm. quite dumping out but it is like see you later it's ve- yeah, very tired. efficient yeah yeah there you go on your way on nice little anomaly in the language of football there next dave tom banyard writes in and says uh, recently got into discussion about whether pen or peno is the proper abbreviation of penalty i was of the opinion that the use of peno is for the casual part-time football fan but now I'm wondering if it's a geographical thing. Can you adjudicate? My first thought, Dave, was I'm not really sure 
what I use. I'm pretty sure I just say penalty because I, I might have said peno when I was a kid. Maybe they won on penos or something like that. Mm. But I don't think I, I don't that, honestly don't think I've ever said pen ever ever I've, ever ever. I definitely said pen. I think I've shouted pen, pen, but I don't think I've, I've definitely never said peno. Yeah, I mean, I'm obviously, saying. all abbreviations exist for a reason, Charlie. It's to make words more efficient, perhaps even increase their impact. But the fact is, during like a Sunday league game, I'd happily shout penalty because it's got a, it's got a bit of oomph about it on its own right. So I don't think I need to shorten it. But I don't think I'd ever shout peno, and I certainly wouldn't shout pen. I would say I would kind of accept saying you know one on pens. But then I think I'd write it down, but I wouldn't say it. Yeah, I, I've, I've never said the word pen in conversation, but I've definitely shouted it at a game. Right. At I a reckon ref. I might have said it in conversation. I might have been like, I, just, I think that is a pen. I think that probably is a pen. I can imagine saying that. I, would, I think penalty would How be my go-to. Pen? Peno, I remember when Peno emerged. Like, Peno, that to me is a, is a more recent thing when that entered the vernacular like think it's more about shootouts than individual penalties i'd never hear penos it's gone to penos wow. i don't think i've ever heard anyone say that that sounds really weird who's on penos this week <laughs> maybe that's what it is who have you, who have you got, on who have penos? got on penos <laughs> that makes more sense great delivery from a peno <laughs> yeah who's on penos this week right uh, <laughs> there we go right women's champions league semi-final second leg action here this is from DeZone on commentary chris sharples and uh, Pompey Man writes in and has a has a bit of an issue with this one. Stena Blackstenius and the double for the Gunners. What a start to the second half! She just loves scoring in this semi-final. <laughs> Pompey Man Charlie says before Stena Blackstenius's goal was chalked off by VAR for offside. The Zones commentator said, she loves scoring in this semi-final. Surely a, surely a player can only love scoring in A, at this ground, and B, in this competition. Absolutely right. Such or against this club. So important to me. Yeah, against this club. He just, he just loves playing against X or loves scoring against X. Yes. Yeah, same game. Extraordinary. Yes, same tie. Yeah, same tie. Oh, same tie, sorry. Yeah. Um, so this... But this this would have been her third goal in the tie, but then it, then it was disallowed. Yeah. So three goals in two games. Is that does that qualify as loves scoring in this? I'd forgotten she scored in the first leg, but even mm. so, I still think I, you could maybe say she just loves scoring in. Well, you could definitely say she loves scoring in this competition, or even at a push, she just loves scoring in semi-finals. If it yeah, had been trailed before, good. She always scores in semis. But good from you. Excellent. I, I think the tie is pushing it. Yeah, that that's that's nice, happy sort of medium ground there, isn't it, Dave? She just loves scoring in semi-finals because semi-finals, as we know, are self-contained narratives of their mm. own in a big picture sense. Like we think about semi-finals as being sometimes even bigger than the final in terms of tension. So it, it could work. Yeah, because you could, if Stina Blackstenius in fifteen years' time was pitched at the Crucible, uh, watching a semi-final of the snooker, <laughs> she could she could be yeah. a she, woman who knows a thing or two about semi-finals. There, it certainly would. I I really hope that happens. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Oh, look at that! That is wonderful! Brought to your ears by The Athletic. This is Football Clichés. Here's a curious one. I, I like these sort of vaguer appeals to our footballing sensibilities, Charlie. OJ writes and says, Do you agree that it's possible to tell the score of a televised game just by hearing the tone of a brief bit of commentary blaring out the speakers in a pub? <laughs> I walked past one during United Brighton and instantly could tell it was nil-nil just from the tone of commentary. I feel like I have sort of passively done this before, Charlie. I haven't sort of consciously gone out to do it, but I'm sure I've passively thought, yeah. can I work out what the score is from this? It is. It is. It's a, there's a general vibe. Like You can even sort of tell from the, the atmosphere in the ground coming through the TV about what the state of play might be. I was going to say, I definitely have done that, the two things combined. The sort of just trying to pick up on the low hum, that coupled with yeah, the other tone. I did it with a tweet yesterday, in fact. It's funny because I did it with a tweet. I saw... Everton tweeted something out and I didn't know what the score or someone who follows Everton I didn't know what the score was and I was like oh that's quite a dead pat I was like I wonder if that does that mean Leicester have equalised I was like there's no way it could there's no re you know it's just describing something in a very factual way but I was still right. like you know could it be slightly different if they've just conceded or haven't I suppose Dave there is a kind of latent kind of tone in a commentator's voice when a game complexion has changed if it's nil-nil it's kind of it's very even-handed very sort of preppy for the rest of the game situation. But after that, it becomes a bit more urgent, a bit more this team has to do something kind of tone of voice. Yeah, and I think you would feed off the energy of the, of the crowd Yeah, in, in, and the atmosphere. It just inextricably becomes part of your delivery, I think, if you're a commentator. Offshoot of this, Charlie, is um, I know radio commentators obviously have an onus to, to remind listeners of the score because of they, don't, they don't have the luxury of being able to see it at all times. But when you actually, on the rare occasions I tune into a game and I don't know what the score is, it's a fucking eternity. Yeah, it takes I, ages for them I to complete, say what the score is. God's sake. I know, I completely agree. And it must be really annoying for them to have to keep saying it. But at mm. the same time, exactly that. Like, say yeah. the score. Kills Rule me. number one. Yeah. I'm going to have to start paying more attention to the tone of their voice and the atmosphere behind them. Now, now this was interesting too. Matt Clough. Writes in Dave, says the match in the day commentator for the Brighton match referred to their fans as the Amex faithful. Surely you can only have Team X faithful, not the stadium, and particularly not a sponsor named stadium. They're faithful to the club, not the Amex. 
2% cash back, you'll never sing that. I think he's made, I think Matt Clover's made a fundamental error here, Dave, because the faithful aspect of this phrase, it's a noun, it's not an adjective. They're not faithful to anything. I mean, they're faithful to the club, but that's not, that's not to do with the phrase itself. So, and, and beyond that, you can have stadium X faithful. Of course you can, but they're just not connected. They're just to be, happen to be the faithful who are at stadium X. Yeah, the Anfield faithful, the yeah. Old Trafford faithful. And I don't think you would call a non-match-going fan a faithful in, in, in that way. I think it is, it's turning up for me. It's turning up every week, week in, week out. But the problem is, yeah, maybe the Amex faithful does sound a bit weird because we've never known that stadium as anything else. But you'd, you'd say the Emirates, would you say the Emirates faithful? Like that, you'd still know That's what people would mean one. by that, wouldn't you? Could. Yeah, yeah, I think... Charlie, this is an interesting point. I, I don't want to completely um, rule out this kind of sponsor-based argument here because, you know, if, if, if it was only the first season, I mean, let's let's take Reading example, the car leasing, whatever it is. Select faithful, car leasing. The select car leasing faithful. I, I would draw the line at that. But Amex is very Brighton now. It's, it is the Amex. Mm. And I've, maybe the Emirates is surely well beyond that threshold now. Yeah, I think it would. I think it would sound fine. I think you're right. It's... It's not adjectival. It's not. Yeah, it's not kind of the, the faithful to Amex. I mean, there's what would the other option be? The Farmer Stadium faithful. If you really want to. Farmer. Farmer. Yeah. No, it wouldn't work. It, it does force you to confront these things, Dave. Because I mean, I mean, I realise you never hear fans just being described as the faithful. But it is. What a curious thing. Just mm. the faithful. Not faithful fans. Just the faithful. Next up, we had to do this, and I know it's terrible, but I want us to dig into why it's terrible. Matt Vickers, MP, whose local team, Stockton Town FC, were in the Northern Premier League East playoff final. And uh, he managed to get himself a cameo-style message from none other than Rishi Sunak. And it went exactly as you would expect. Your local MP, Matt Vickers, has been telling me about all the action down at Bishy Road. The exciting semi-final playoff and how Mikey Roberts brought the nail-biting penalty shootout to an end. I understand you've got some of the best and loudest fans around. Now Stockton is right behind you and the town couldn't be prouder. I just wanted to wish you the very best of luck in today's final. Good luck, the anchors. <laughs> now, Char- Charlie, this, this is obviously, obviously, this is utterly embarrassing, but the reason I hate it so much is because all I can hear, now, regardless of the words that Rishi Sunak says there, all I can hear is meat pie, sausage roll, come on, Stockton Town, score a goal. <laughs> and that, that tone of voice that always accompanies a really sort of pathetic sort of fist bump going, go on, boys, yeah. score a goal. I love the, the veins are the, the best fans around. <laughs> so good. Is he called? Is he used a, a nickname for their stadium, Bishy Road? He called it Bishy Road. Is it? Is it? I'm is that, like that a, must be the name of their stadium. Like, no, that must be the name. Must be. Let's find out, because it sounds like that might. He's, you know, that's an attempt to kind of, you know, use the local sort of slang you, for the yeah, stadium. I think you, you, oh yes, it is. Bishopton Road West is the name of their ground. <laughs> Bishy Road. He doesn't know. He did rubbish. Anyway, the story did develop. Um, Stockton Town lost on penalties to Long Eaton United, Dave. Um, Long Eaton United, as every team does at step four of the non-league pyramid, do have their own YouTube channel. Here's manager Ian Deakin being interviewed after their glorious penalty shootout win. So, yeah, we're going to have a lot of beer, vodka, whatever they want to give me, I'm going to drink it. All right, so, um, yeah, you lads have been class all year as well. I just want to say that on record. And one for more thing I want to say is, that's just for Rishi Sunak. Put that one in your pipe and smoke it. <laughs> yeah! <laughs> yeah! 
proper up on the dressing room wall situation there, wasn't it, Dave? Lovely stuff. Superb. Where's Long Eaton's MP? Put that in your pipe and smoke it. That a genuinely nice little coda to the whole episode, isn't it, Charlie? Mm, yeah. It's, it's nice like, the idea that Sunak feels really strongly and passionately about it rather than mm. just, you know. He's going to have to do this for all the fucking playoff finals, for all his various little non-league teams that, that his MPs represent over the country. It's going to be a busy week for him, busy month for him. Another one? Uh, well, it is the business end of the season, Rishi. I'm sorry. <laughs> Game's going to be thick and fast. Let's stay in politics now. David O'Leary writes in and says, I heard this on The Rest is Politics. Alistair Campbell invents a word that I can't believe Ian Dowie or perhaps Nathan Jones hasn't already invented, given its inherent footballeriness. In my new book, which I can now show you, Roy, there is my new book, and I've invented a word which is persevilience. Persevilience is the combination of perseverance and resilience. So this guy, Simon, has had the setback of not having his question answered but he's persevered and therefore he's a very persevering character charlie i agree with dave o'leary here it, it does sound like a very footballery kind of corrupted word but my question for you is what exact scenario would you use the word perseverance or persevilient that's a that's a good one i mean you could use it about a young player who got rejected by loads of clubs oh so you think it's like a career-wide thing rather yeah. than in, in a game I, well, yeah, I think that's the career-wide one, but then eventually sort of worked their way up, got promoted a bunch of times and is now a solid fullback for a Premier League team, thanks to their perseverance. In a in a game, I think it could be a maligned striker who kept missing chances, but kept going back for more and eventually got their reward. Oh, OK. So, I mean, Dave, sort of Charlie's even staying sort of medium picture here. I was going to go really granular and say it was like a, like a dogged winger earning a earning a corner when his team were already sort of 1-0 up in the last few minutes just to eke a few more seconds out. Just, yeah, his perseverance has paid off there. And that's just bought his team a few more seconds, a bit more respite. Yeah, I think they all work, those examples. I think it, it, it's bang on. I think it is very, very Dowie-esque. You could imagine him just chucking that into a, a report on the... He would think Saturday twice about saying it, but then would say it anyway. And it would just come out and then we'd, yeah. we'd talk about it on the podcast and then the content cycle would be complete. Right. Stuart Smith, Charlie, says, Dundee played Queen's Park in the final game of the Scottish Championship season on Friday. The game is a title decider. Could it be also described as a shootout or would this require both teams to have the same number of points? Crucial question. So, so Dundee are two points clear going into this final game. Mm-hmm. They're going to play each other. So Queen's Park have to win. Does that make it a shootout? Adam, didn't you describe the potential I did. Reading against Huddersfield game as a shootout earlier? I did, and, and Reading would, if Huddersfield don't win in midweek, they would be three points behind and would have to win. So I've got it wrong. No, but I think I think it's I think if it's a winner takes all yeah. situation, that's a shootout, surely. Yeah, because there's but never Dundee gonna be a situation. Huddersfield but, could draw. Yeah, but there's always gonna be a situation where one of the teams if it's two teams going for the same thing, there's all the, one team will be a always winner. Be away, we'll yeah. get away with the draw. That's so true. So I think I think shootout's fine as, as long as ju- it just takes. I think if you're in the realms of they need to win by two clear goals, like I don't feel, I don't think Anfield '89, uh, maybe it was, was a title shootout. I think you need to just win. You need to be within the realms of just winning the game. Then I think it is a shootout. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Dave's right. I suppose if it, if it essentially is winner takes all, then straight shootout becomes perfectly eligible. So there you go. I was right eventually, and so is Stuart Smith here now. Dean Van Wen. I love this. Love this. Turning stuff on its head. He writes in, Charlie, and says, Managers are always being asked if a player returning from a long injury is like a new signing. But couldn't a new signing be like a player returning from a long injury? (laughs) 
could it happen? What type of new signing? What kind of player? What kind of impact could they be said to have if they were like coming back for long injury? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I'm trying to think of a, situ- uh, a scenario where that would work. Could it be, not that this would be a sort of flattering thing to say, but could it be like a player, I don't know, like like Brighton signed Adam Lalana, for example. Mm. You sign like an old player who has had injuries. Yeah. And he turns up at your club, it kind of is, maybe he, he's going to take a little bit of time to get going. Yeah. In that respect, it's like right, he's coming yeah. back from an injury. I oh, don't so know. Easing themselves into the team. Yeah. That might be... Actually, yeah, that might be... Yeah. Right. So that, so a new signing, Charlie, that's taken a little while to kind of get to grips with the new new sort of set of teammates. Yeah, or even if it's not necessarily an injury, but for another reason, like, say, the player's been out of favour for, like, the the three months, the last... the the. The pre- you sign someone in January and they've barely played for the previous few months because yeah. they've been out of favour. That would be like signing someone coming back from a long injury because they're not going to be able to go straight in. Mm. They will take some time. It's like recover. Diego Costa, Wolves, in a way. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. But it's just not something you'd ever say. In, it's just, it's not a good thing. <laughs> no, no, maybe not. I think it needs another layer of context. I mean, it needs to be a player who everyone turns around and go. Well, I thought he'd been here for years. Costa is quite wolvesy, I suppose, so maybe he counts. So maybe that just needs that extra layer of kind of perception about it. Anyway, right, I said that was the last item of the adjudication panel. It isn't quite. I've got one more thing coming up. It is groundbreaking. It is earth-shattering. It is landscape-changing. It is the, the ultimate tying up of loose ends for a football podcast. We'll get onto it in a minute, but it's time first for Keys and Grey Corner. Ford Super Sunday. Only one issue to talk about here. I had a couple of clips of Keysy getting a little bit sanctimonious about Jurgen Klopp confronting the fourth official. Uh, we could have used it. It wasn't that great. But then suddenly the footballing gods put the cherry on the icing on the cake of this absurd season in Premier League history by just dangling the even tantalising prospect of Sam Allardyce returning to Premier League management, Charlie. It is manna from heaven for Keezy. Yeah, I mean, whenever someone goes, as uh, Daishi did, of course, goes from the KNG podcast back into Premier League management. It's just a real feather in their cap, isn't it? I mean, it's like, go, they're, they're the new goals on Sunday. It's, <laughs> they're the new MNF uh, or the old MNF. It's it's just an incredible thing when you've when you've heard someone sort of reduced to that state, then thinking that they're they're sort of they've got to be they've got to go back into serious manager mode. It's it's just. It's just incredible. The rumour mill began turning on this, Dave, but in between the cracks of Keezy content, it was too late for for being this weekend, too late for his blog, which he'd already published on Monday, so he had to take to Twitter, and this is how Keezy tweeted. Big Sam is back. There's a theme here. The return of the dinosaurs. Dinosaur emoji. Hodgson, Warnock, Allardyce. You can't buy experience. Welcome back, big man. What an incentive for him. Keep leads up and relegate Everton. 
that is see that's that's interesting so split loyalties for Keezy there mm. he's sided with Big Sam over Daishi yeah. because his his sort of what is is he is he does he not like Everton no I think this is or... he's doing score settling on Allardyce's behalf yeah after right the Everton okay affair. yeah yeah I mean, that's just one vital ingredient of this tweet, Charlie. You've got the score setting on somebody else's behalf. Mm-hmm. You've got the whole kind of, mm, maybe my generation aren't just dead yet situation. And then, of course, welcome back, Big Mac. <laughs> brilliant. A brilliant tweet. It, it, yeah, it, it, it spells out the narratives. I mean, that was one of the questions he asked for him. Is, you know, what is wrong with Everton Football Club prompting <laughs> the longest, most drawn out ever? Well, how long have you got? <laughs> <laughs> just went on and on and on about how long have you got mm. and well, now course, here he is yeah. giving them even more to worry about here he is indeed I hope not signed sealed and delivered as we record just yet but I really hope so and Dave this will mean that there is a Premier League manager active Premier League manager who has a podcast named No Tippy Tappy Football um, <laughs> so maybe it is high time we delve into it this was Big Sam Allardyce on his No Tippy Tappy Football podcast mere days ago. There's not a lot about, Natalie. You're That's, about? Well, I know I'm about, but, you know... <laughs> I'm uh, about. I'm not called... You're going as a double I'm told, I'm, <laughs> hey, hey, listen to this. If I was called Sam Aladicio, I'd have been right at the top. No problem whatsoever. So uh, if, if my name was Aladicio and I spoke with a slightly Italian English accent... Still. Yeah. Still. I mean, yeah. How much does he love that line? Do you think he said he must be aware that of how much that's a thing that mm. that claim? It's amazing. Um, has it evolved, Charlie? Because it was Aladici before. Yeah, it was Aladici. Yeah. Now it's Aladicio. Aladicio. Not sure if that's swapped countries or not. No, I don't think. Still that sounds, still sounds vaguely Italian, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, you think he would have gone Portuguese? Yeah. Aladice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's where the that's where the real football brains are now. That's where he should have gone. Yeah, great stuff. Anyway, anyway, after recording for what my clock tells me is 49 minutes and 22 seconds and an even longer wait to tie up this loose end, it feels like, oh God, it feels like a lifetime since we first encountered this. Um, I don't want to build it up anymore. Let's have a little recap. No way. No way. That... No. Literally have tears in my eyes. I have oh tears my God. in my eyes. This... Is from the post-match analysis of Nottingham Forest versus Bayern Munich. Oh, March wow. 1996. Dave, cue clip number one. Bayern played well in the second half, but it's so much easier to play when you're 3-0 up and 4-0 up. <laughs> On a wider context, I think it's bad news for the English game. <laughs> the results are <laughs> for me, it's a mockery of the people that I knew it. say that we've got the best league in the world. I knew it. Oh. I said in that episode when we talked about it, I bet, I bet it's from a completely unrelated game to England it's just someone's found a nice soundbite in a game and they thought that's the one that is amazing Did, but does Jimmy Hill then go on to say we'll go on getting bad results there or is that from something else oh I don't know I don't know Dave does he go on to oh say oh my god <laughs> let's find out no. we get bad results yeah. agree, agree, uh, yeah. in the European Championship we'll go on getting bad results in the future ah! This is incredible. Oh, it's like finding a, it's lit, I mean, we are literally finding a sample from a song, but it's like finding a sample from a song. Fucking hell. Now, I mean, <laughs> as I try and talk through the emotion of this, Charlie, I'd like to furnish you with the third and final sample from the intro to Three Lines, but I don't have it. I do not have it. The Trevor Brooking quote of we're not creative enough, we're not positive enough is still out there in the wild. I don't know where it is. Here we are. No. 
No. Do you know what? I teased this on Twitter before we recorded. Our listeners had a chance to have a little guess about what it would be. Elizabeth Barnard. Is the unfinished business the Trevor Brooking commentary, she asked. Joe Marshall. You haven't found the last remaining three lines punditry clip, have you? That'd be some great business to finish. But don't you think, though, that perhaps with a different manager and perhaps with that different manager selecting different players and being more consistent with his players, that England might very well be in yeah, the World Cup finals and we wouldn't be I going, through, so, and we wouldn't be going through this all this analysis? I think if the World Cup qualifying started tomorrow, I still think England would be favourite in that group. But we wouldn't have had a chance of winning it once we got there, Des. That's the key. Because we wouldn't be able to score the goals at the moment. We're not creative enough and we're not positive enough. Yeah! You look at Shearer, you look at Ferdinand. There it is. Oh my God. So, Gascoigne would be the man. Tell us everything. If if he's injured, what happens then? You've got to have 11 good players. You can't have two or three and say, pick them out and say they're terrific. You've got to have 11 terrific players to win the World Cup. It's a big subject. It is a big subject, Des. It is a big subject. (laughs) (laughs) Little did he know how much we would care about this clip. 20th of November, Charlie, 1993. Three days after England uh, had officially failed to qualify for USA 94. So this was on the back of just a standard uh, match of the day, Premier League match of the day. I'd done it all. Ray Stubbs did a little sort of video kind of segment about the fallout from it all. Then they had a big old debate. Brooking, brilliant, by the way, absolutely brilliant about the state of English football. Not getting on his high horse, just saying, like, this is what we need to do. Like, this is what needs to change. It's all the sort of conversations we're having every other week now, it mm. feels. Sowing the seeds for his eventual appointment as the uh, yeah. whatever, technical, technical director, director of the I FA. Think it was, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's, he's brilliant. Hansen's sort of quite dismissive, in, but, you know, adding some, some vital kind of sort of dismissiveness to it all. But um, it, it's, just, it's just wonderful. I can't believe this has happened. I cannot believe... This has happened. But it's finished. It's done. The loose ends have been tied up. There's nothing left. The football culture is no. completed, as far as I'm concerned. That's the Holy Grail. I mean, we've really been is. searching for it for, forever. I mean, how long ago? That was t- 2021. That Episode we... 77, it was. Yeah, it was, it was pr- before the Euros. So that's a yeah. long... It's two years ago, basically. Wow, two long years. Two years of her. Amazing. And it's amazing to see that, that they were talking about it on a match of the day. Which is probably one of the reasons why the last one of the last places we would have looked. Well, n- now we have the luxury, Dave, of being able to look back at lots of people's deliberations about where they thought the missing, you know, much sought after Brooking quote was from. Um, loads of people were taking the um, Three Lines music video and saying, "Oh, there's lots of clips of England playing Bulgaria. It must have been after that game where we struggled to beat Bulgaria or drew with them or something." And loads of people were trying to find it, and there was no, nothing there. And loads of people positing that it was ma- it was the BBC's coverage highlights, perhaps, of England versus Holland in 1993, where England's World Cup hopes were essentially dashed. Because that was on ITV, wasn't it? That game? yeah, and so that's a lot of people what people were searching for. So they weren't a million miles away, but yeah, it was just it was three days after hiding in plain sight on a regular <laughs> match of the day, and there it is. I wonder which came first, because that if you're putting together the Three Lions song and you want a couple of clips to emphasise how bad England had been going going to the aftermath of the failure to qualify for 1994 is your first port of call yeah. you'd go yeah. to the matches you'd, you'd, you'd go around that time and they found this clip where the other two were by Munich Nottingham Forest probably wouldn't be your first port of yeah. call so did they find Brooking first and then thought we just need a bit we need a little bit more and then they had to look a little bit deeper I wonder. that would definitely make sense yeah 
Yeah, it would because I mean that's what the song is essentially leading or, up from. I guess the I guess the only other thing though is because they, if they got the one two already, which they did from that Forest Bind game, if then they were just like we need something else, let's let's travel back a bit further. Well, actually, it makes sense. The the logic makes sense. They 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 needed something that summed up England's plight, so they went for Brooking, and then they just happened to be they happened to hear live, presumably just as they were putting the song together in spring 1996, live on TV, they heard those two quotes and thought they'll be good. That's that must have been what happened. Maybe if, but if that was close enough, because that forest by that game would have been what, like early March or something. March, yeah, yeah. Do you know? So, what, but that that leaves the door slightly ajar to the to the tantalising prospect that there might be a first draft out there somewhere on a tape somewhere with other with alternative uh, to the Hanson and Jimmy Hill because if you do if you if you're finding it before if they if they did find Brooking first and yeah. presumably they wouldn't have just left it <laughs> left the gap point. open would they? Could be something really rubbish. What could it be? I just don't see where the goals are going to come from for this England team. <laughs> yeah. to be honest. Capital yeah, gold or something. Rod Marsh. Oh dear. I don't know. There's nothing left to achieve, is there? Where do we go? I mean, it is one of those, isn't it? You've got a. It's like when United won the treble in '99. You've got to raise yourself to go again for episode 255. I don't know if I can do it <laughs> for all sorts of reasons. Charlie Ecclesher, a pleasure, a pleasure to share this moment with you. Yeah, amazing. Thank you. Thank you for all your tireless efforts on this cause. (laughs) Thanks to everyone who joined in the hunt. Didn't get there. Not like me, but still, thanks anyway. Cheers to you, David Walker. Thank you. Always a pleasure to have you. Cheers, everyone. We'll be back later in the week. I think it's bad news for the English game. We're not creative enough. We're not positive enough. It's coming home. It's coming home. It's coming Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.